band for leading us each week. It just, uh, it's such a blessing to be a part of Grace Point and the talent, the depth, the commitment that uh, these make every week to lead us. Uh, I hope you appreciate them. Give them a round of applause just to say thank you. If nothing else, there's so many who give so much of their time. And I want to say thank you to those who, who actually helped contribute in our voice at Grace Point uh, over the past several months and the weeks that even ahead. You've got to hear some of our uh, just other voices. It's not just me. I speak about 40 times out of the, out of the, out of the year. But you, you heard uh, Wade back in, uh, on Mother's Day. You heard Randy uh, in June. Uh, Lori uh, closed out day camp. Um, last week, Jared. A couple of weeks going to be uh, next couple of weeks going to be some surprises. But again, great voices at Grace Point, just uh, heralding out God's truth, God's message, and being in, in prayer for that. But today's a day that I wouldn't miss. It's an important day every year in the church as we as this time of the year rolls around. It's just one of those times of discipline for us. I have certain disciplines in my life. You hopefully have disciplines in your life that you practice and that you're uh, committed to make you a better person. Um, one of those is just I have a commitment to, to every day, one hour out of every day, giving it to the Lord in silence and solitude and in Scripture. I don't know if you have a commitment like that. Maybe it's not an hour. Maybe it's 30 minutes. It just helps me to think in blocks of time. And I want to commit that or at least have that blocked out. Sometimes it's 30 minutes. Sometimes it's 15 minutes. But a lot of times it's an hour. And I just want to spend time listening, praying, uh, committing things in my life to him, uh, committing you in, in the issues that are going on in your life as I know about them to pray for them. And uh, so think about it. What are some times of silence and solitude in Scripture in your life? I commit one day, uh, one hour of every, uh, out of every day. I commit one day out of every week. I want this day to be the Lord's day in every sense of the word as it launches my week. Now, my, my day kind of starts... On Saturday evenings, I don't do a lot on Saturday evenings uh, outside the home because I'm preparing myself spiritually for this moment, uh, and uh, so I don't. You'll not see me out uh, uh, around the town on on Saturday nights. I am typically in my home, in my study, praying, seeking God for this day. Now I've done a lot of the the spade work, the homework, the the dirty work uh, leading up to Saturday night, but on on Saturday night is the time I prepare my heart and make sure it's ready. And then I try to take one week out of every year uh, that I pull aside, unplug, disconnect, go offline, and really have a time of silence and solitude in Scripture. And in about two weeks, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be at that, that point, not this week, but the next week after that. I'm just going to pull aside and get alone and let that be a time where I seek the Lord for the coming year. So you, if, if I say all that to say this, I need you to pray for me. Uh, this, is a, this is an important time for you as a church because as you pray for me, God will give me direction and leadership uh, into the coming year's messages. These are just disciplines. We have them. I have certain disciplines I do physically to make myself as healthy as I can possibly be, uh, whether it's exercise or diet. There are mental disciplines that I have. I am a constant, avid reader. I may have finished the degrees and got all the, the letters behind my name, but I'm not through learning. You're not through learning. Never stop learning. Be a, be a continual learner in your, in, your, in your life. That's a part of the disciplines. There are spiritual disciplines uh, in my life, and that's part of that, spiritual disciplines in my life. But there's another discipline. It's kind of a corporate discipline that every year I come back to one message. 
It is the message that I shared on the very first day. Disciplines are important because they keep the, they get the right things in the right order in your life. Uh, Aristotle said it like this. He says, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act but a habit. I want what I do regularly to become so a part of my life. There's no mistaking it's a part of my life. It's not because I'm just going to do one thing. It's because I'm going to do it repeatedly. And so one of the things I do repeatedly is every year at this time, I come back to this message. This message that I'm going to share with you today is the very first message that I shared on the very first Sunday and it was a, with the very first group of people of Grace Point. And as we gathered in this living room on Nita Road and Rogers, we gathered there, we prayed there, we worshiped there in this little living room, and we just cast this vision and we asked this question, what's it about? Why do we need another church in Northwest Arkansas 14 years ago? Why is it that we're, we're even talking about church planting more churches in Northwest Arkansas even still today? Why, 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 why? Getting down to what we're about, what's this, this whole thing that we're about? Why, who, what uh, are we about in this whole church thing? And the discipline is, is it causes me to look back at us and say, okay, are we still on course? Are we still doing what we said we were going to be doing from the very beginning? Now, I know things change and change. Most of y'all were not in that room on that living. Most of y'all were not at El Reagan Elementary School when we were there for two years or at Bentonville High School for three years. Most of you were not there when we were at the Holiday Inn Express. But what are we about? And coming back to that and reinforcing that is uh, what this day is about for me. And the, the, the sad reality is the, the, the reality of the spiritual condition of our nation is only getting worse. A study that just came out this past year, I read it in the book by George Barnett called Churchless, says that 156 million Americans are not connected to a church, to a Christian community, to a Bible-based, Christ-centered community. 156 million people. Americans, all right? Now, what does that look like? I can't even put my arms around 156 million. I can't put my arms around a million. So what is 156 million? How do you, how do you put that into a picture? The best way you can put it into a picture, if you take 156 million people and you were to make them an entire nation unto themselves, you would have the eighth largest nation in the world. That's how many people in America today that have no church connection are not going. They may have gone to church when they were a kid growing up. They may have been christened or baptized and sprinkled, dunked and sprayed somewhere. Uh, they may have had some kind of religious experience. But today, now, no, they're not in church. We are living in a day where we are living far, further and further away from the church. And yet, I believe. As I quoted on the very first Sunday when we got together in that living room, I said, I shared a, a quote from C. Peter Wagner, a professor, a writer. He said, this, the single most effective evangelistic methodology under heaven is planting a new church. As I'm sitting in the room with these families, and they're asking the question, why, why, why are we doing this? Why are you coming back from Africa? Why are you moving your family back here to start a church? Isn't there far more needs over there? And yes, there are great needs over there, but I saw an opportunity here in America that we needed to launch a church that would launch churches, that would start churches, that would plant churches all around the world. Because churches are where it's at. And I'm not saying the building is where it's at. 
We were, we were five years without a building. The building is not the church. We say it around here, and I'll say it to you again today, is that the best way to bless a community is to start a church. It is the only organization out there, not the Optimist Club, the Rotary Club, the, 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 the city council, not the educational systems of our school. No other organization will bless a community body, soul, and spirit than a thriving, vibrant church in a community. And so what I want us to be, what I want us to be in the beginning, what I want us to be 14 years ago, what I want us to be today and for the next 14 years is to be a church that will bless this community, body, soul, and spirit. How are we going to do that? How can we do that? How can we keep doing that as we started so long ago? Because when you think about it, and I know, again, a lot of y'all weren't there. Most of y'all were not there in the beginning. But are we still about that? And so this is a checkpoint for me. This is the discipline of the church to come back and to say, are we still a work of God? We call ourselves a work of God. We want to be a church of God. So are we a work of God? Or are we just a mausoleum where people come in and just sit? I hope we are a movement of God, that God is continuing to move. Listen, the whole idea of a church was not man's invention. Take your Bibles. We find in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, specifically. We're going to be there in just a moment, but I want to give you a little bit of the history behind this. Because the whole idea of what we're doing in this room right now, what we're going to do outside of this room, because really what the church is is not so much what happens in this room, but what happens beyond this room. As you're in your civic clubs, as you're in your classrooms at school, as you're at your work, as you're in your cubicles, if you work at Walmart, wherever you may be in this world, Whatever you're doing in a nine-to-five job or a six-to-six six job, whatever you have, that, that is your, your place to be the church. And what we do is we just come in here and we just rally the forces. We come in here and we fan the flames. We come in here from a, from a, from a week of, 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 of hopefully being the church in our community to renew and restore and strengthen us. The church idea was not man's invention. Matthew chapter 16, we find Jesus just about six months away from going to the cross. About six months away from being crucified, being uh, buried, and, and rising from the dead. And then, and then ultimately launching the church on the day of Pentecost. As he ascends into heaven, the church is going to be launched thereafter. And as this all happens, un- unfolding, the whole idea of the church is Jesus. We're just carrying out what he's been about. This was his exit strategy. What we're going to read today is his Jerry Maguire moment, if you will, where he's saying, hey, guys, I'm about to leave, and this is the plan. And the name of this plan, the document that's above this plan is called church. So this was not our idea. This was the idea of our Savior Christ. It's the idea that he had for us. For this day and this age, until his return, that we would be the church. And what does that look like? So in this passage that you're going to look at with me, you're going to see it. I want you to find it yourself. But you're going to see where he asks two questions. But you're also going to see where he gives two promises. Two questions and two promises. Let's begin reading in verse 13. And when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples... First question, who do people 
say that the Son of Man is. Now, we're going to come back and break this down, but you're going to see there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. Jesus has been doing his ministry. He's been healing the sick. He's been turning water into wine. He's been walking on water. He's been doing a lot of things. And they're still confused about who Jesus is. This is what they said. Some say you're Elijah, and some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Jeremiah and one of the prophets. And they asked the second question. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. And he said, blessed are you. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church, first promise. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, second promise. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Here he lays it out. This is his exit strategy. This is his plan. This is his succession plan, if you will. And the succession plan is that he's going to do something, and it's going to be established on something. And I want to talk about those somethings, those elements of what he's going to start the church on. That 14 years ago, when we were meeting in a living room and didn't have anything to our name, and we didn't have a facility or anything, and what were we starting on? So if I could just imagine, if you could just imagine with me for a few moments, that it's just you and I, and we're just sitting down, and we're talking about what does it mean to be the church, then this is the conversation we would have had 14 years ago. These elements are what have got to mark us today, 14 years later, as well as 14 years ago. One element is that Jesus Christ is the foundation on which Grace Point Church is built. This is not a negotiation point. It is about Jesus and what we're going to do with Jesus. Who is Jesus and what are we going to do with Jesus and how are we going to build our life? If we don't build our, our life on anything else but Jesus Christ, then we miss it. That's why the number one covenant statement in our covenant membership uh, uh, declaration is that you will exalt Jesus Christ first and foremost in your life. That is absolutely the bedrock, the foundation on which everything else is built. Now, if you read verse 13... And you read verse 15, he says, who do people say the Son of Man is? That's the first question. Who is Jesus in this world? And you know what? The same confusion on that day is the same confusion today. Now, we might call him different things, and people have different experiences and different expressions and different ideas on who Jesus is, but then they didn't know, are you uh, John the Baptist? Are you Elijah who's come back? Are you Jeremiah? Are you another prophet? Who are you? They didn't know who he was. I think we struggle with the same thing today. If you were to go to Hindu, a Hindu, and Hindu is growing throughout northwest Arkansas at, at almost exponential rates. 400 to 500 families is what I've heard have moved into northwest Arkansas. And they are welcomed here, loved here. I love I love them as much as anybody else, and it's beautiful to have them here. We have a different belief, though, in who Jesus is. If you were to ask a Hindu who has studied on who Jesus is, this is what their traditional beliefs are, is that, that when Jesus was a teenager, he traveled to Asia, from the Middle East to Asia. And as a teenager, he learned yogic meditations, 
And then whenever he moved back to the Middle East, around 30 years of age, he became a guru, a teacher, a guru, a famous teacher, much, much like a first century Gandhi who talked about peace and harmony and love. And he was just really simply another first century Gandhi of that day and age. Now, if you want to pray to him and make him another god, you just lump him in with the 330 million other gods of Hinduism. But is there anything special or unique that makes him rise above? No. He's just one among many. Buddhist. Buddhist is probably something we think of far, far away. But probably one of the fastest growing expressions of spirituality in our culture where spirituality is on the increase while Christianity is on the decrease is Zen Buddhism. Now Buddhism is in its, in its again, traditional form. Buddhism would believe that Jesus and Buddha were brothers. They achieved this connection. They achieved this relationship because Jesus grew into this person of universal love. And you too, listen, you too can achieve Buddhahood if you will grow in your own spiritual development and you will realize the God that is within you and that you are the center of the universe and that the center of the universe rests in you and that you can become like God and let love reign in you. Now, I know that there are many expressions today of Zen Buddhism throughout our culture. Yoga is one of those. Now, listen, I do yoga. I know, I've done my share of downward dogs, all right? And uh, I, I, I do it to stretch. I don't do it for the meditation part. One of my favorite uh, positions is the one where you just lay flat on the ground at the end. <laughs> Savasana or something like that. I just know when I hear those words, I go flat. Um, but whenever at the end you kind of come to this meditation moment and you kind of realize that the center of the universe is in you and that you are in and of yourself complete. I look at myself and I go, I am far from complete. If the center of the universe rests on me, you're all in trouble. All right? The reality is, is that I think they miss who Jesus really is. The Jews, if you were to ask Jesus, who was Jesus among the Jews? You can literally pick up the Toledoth Yesu, the history of Jesus, where they say that Jesus was a bastard child. Of a, uh, of a seduced Mary who later gains magical powers in sorcery. Islam, you talk about who Jesus is, they will recognize Jesus as being one of the prophets. I own on my, and I have it on my uh, iPad, I have a hard copy in my office, a copy of the Quran. Whenever I'm going to an Islamic nation, I make sure that I read from the Quran, not because I believe that it is a divine book, but because I want to make sure I have read the Quran and can speak intelligently about the Quran. And I've read the Quran enough to know that in the Quran it talks about Jesus. And it mentions Jesus as being born of a virgin. Jesus was a miracle person, uh, a person of miracles. Jesus was a person who knew the future. It also says in there that Muhammad did not uh, perform miracles. And that Muhammad did not know about his future destiny in life. And I can point those out and I bring those, those scriptures up. But not to get into debate, but just to realize that they don't have the same view of Jesus that we have. They see Jesus as just a prophet. That's all he was. That's all he ever will be. 
In fact, the number one tenet of their faith, they will declare it. If you are uh, to, to become a, a Muslim, you must declare this, and that is this statement right here. He says, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. Jehovah's Witnesses. You see them, you know of them. They do not believe that Jesus Christ is God. They believe that Mary, uh, that, that Mary conceived Jesus and God came to earth and had relations, excuse me, that was, that's the next one, that, that Jesus Christ was a formerly an archangel, uh, Michael. He came to earth simply as a man and wasn't divine and was merely the servant of Jehovah and he died a martyr's death and he never rose again. Drastically different from the Christian faith. And just because they might call themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses does not mean that they understand Jehovah as we would understand Jehovah God. Mormon faith, that's what I began to read from. Mormon faith believed that Jesus Christ was conceived whenever God, when, when God came down to earth and had relations with Mary. And from that relationship, Jesus was born divine and you too can achieve divinity in and of your own life over time, and if you live according to the Mormon faith. Postmodernism. This is one that you'll not find a street, you'll not find a church, you'll not find a building. This is more of a philosophical framework in which we live today. Postmodernism is the mindset that there is no central, eternal, objective truth, that all truth is relative. All truth is subjective. That's why we can rewrite laws according to our day and time. That's why we can redefine marriage because we live in a postmodern mind with a postmodern mind that does not have objective truth out there that you tie yourself back to that all truth is relative. But probably the one out of all the different beliefs on who Jesus is, it's the notional Christians. The notional Christians make up the largest percentage of them. Not the largest percentage, but a good percentage. Forty-four percent of those who acknowledge Christian faith are notional Christians. That's the idea that, hey, yes, I do believe in Christ. I do think that he is the way to God. I do hope to get there someday. But, hey, right now I'm enjoying living my life the way I want to live it. And I want to keep Jesus at arm's length. I'm going to show up at church I'm going to hang out with a few Christians. If a survey comes across my desk, what are you? I'm going to tick. I'm a Christian. But beyond that, life-changing elements, no, that's not me. But yet, when you look at what it means to follow Christ, it means everything to follow Christ. It costs everything to follow Christ. It is everything to follow him. Who do people say that Jesus is? He's a lot of things to a lot of different people. That's the first question. The second question he asks, who do you say that I am? And that's probably the most important question here today. Because in the room this size, please, please, please listen to this. And if, again, if I could be one-on-one with every one of you, I would ask this question, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? I mean, really, don't, don't give me Sunday school answers. Who is Jesus to you? What difference has he made in your life? That's exactly what he does. He turns around and he asks Peter, he asks the disciples, he says, listen, that's what everyone's saying out there about me, but who do you say that I am? What are you going to do with Jesus? How are you going to respond to this question? Who is Jesus in your life? 
Now, I hope if you're truly a follower of Christ, that there's such a life-changing element that you are literally experiencing and expressing, experiencing and expressing Jesus in an intimate, personal way every day of your life. And you, as you express him, you will do it in certain ways. Now, these five things that I'm about to mention are not just five random things. These are the five things that we build our entire church around, all right? And hopefully, this is what we want to instill in you, grow in you, develop in you, and develop in myself. Hopefully, you're going to show off Jesus, and you're going to do it enthusiastically. Enthusiastically. That, that, that word in its etymology means God within. That God is within. And how are you going to do this? You're going to do this in worship. Now, this is one of the places that worship happens. We're, we, we call uh, Robbie Bowie and his wife Natalie are moving up here, leaving their family in Little Rock, moving up here to be with us, to be our worship pastor. That's all a beautiful thing. And we're excited about them being here in August and joining our team and where they're going to take us and lead us into the future. But listen, they can't make you worship. I can't make you worship. Is God within you bubbling up inside of you? You can't contain him. You shouldn't contain him. A.W. Tozer says it like this. Real worship is, among other things, a feeling about the Lord our God. It is, our, it is in our hearts, and we must be willing to express it. Do you worship God deeply in your heart? Practically, we need to show Jesus off. This is ministry. There needs to be a practical element about our life. 91% of the people that are unchurched, look at non, that are non-Christians, believe that the church is, isn't sensitive to their needs. We need to be a church that is real touch with real needs in real people's life. We've been talking about loving your hood because we want you to know your neighbors, because we want you to know their needs, because we want you to be Christ in your hood. This is not a program. This is something that becomes a part of us. Where you are the church in your neighborhood and you're loving your hood and you're understanding the needs of your family members, of your friends, of your neighbors, of your acquaintances, and you're doing ministry with them. And you're showing Jesus at that point. We also do it in a loving fashion. We show Jesus off in a loving way. That means we become community. Now, again, look around the room. There's a lot of people you don't know. A lot of people, I don't know. Who are you? I, I'm st I struggle to get to know everyone. And there's no way. But here's the point. We need to have some people in this room, some people in this church, so we're not just a warm body coming in and sitting in a cold seat. We need to have people that we're connected with. You know how that's going to happen? Because you and you and you intentionally help make relationships. We try to create environments, communitas groups. We try to create environments, small group Bible studies. We try to create environments where you can connect with one another. When you come in, would you do this? Would you own your zone? Would you own about three rows in front of you and about three rows behind you? And would you just own your zone? And every time you come in, would you go out of your way to get to know somebody new? And would you go out of your way to connect with somebody from last week? Would you go out of your way? Listen, you don't have to invite them over for lunch. If you don't connect with them, listen, sit on the other side of the room next week and you won't ever see them again. <laughs> I'm saying own your zone. Take the first three minutes, the last three minutes. Get to know them. Connect with them relevantly. I hope and pray 
that when we are in people's lives, we can show Jesus to them. When we're connecting with people in their lives, in their, mu- in their mess, in their muck, in their, in their, in their hang-ups, in their hurts, in their brokenness, I hope that we can show a little bit of Jesus in there. Not that we know it all, not that we've figured it out. Maybe we even go to them and say, listen, I did the same stupid move. I broke the same promise. But let me tell you how Jesus helped me through that. I was broken the same way you're broken. Let me tell you how Jesus helped me through that. That's one of the best ways we can give outreach and reach out to people. It's not an event. It's a process. Biblically. Listen, we're showing Jesus off enthusiastically, practically, lovingly, relevantly, biblically. We're going to do that through through life transformation elements. I would hope and pray to God that every Sunday you would come. Whether it be a song, whether it be a story told, whether it be a spoken word, whether it be a drama, whether it be a video, whether it be a message, whether it be a scripture, whether it be a quote, whether it be a story I tell, whether it be just my own life. That God would use something every week to draw you, to change you, to make you a little bit more like him. Let me say this. You have complete freedom. You have my blessings. If you don't come and experience biblical life-transforming truth, please find a better church. Find another church. Go there. But my commitment to you is to connect reality with biblical truth week after week. And my prayer is that you will take the biblical truth and allow it to invade, pervade, and transform your life. One of my favorite professors of all times was Howard Hendricks. He talked about doing a Bible study with Dallas businessmen every Monday morning. 2,800 businessmen on, there on this one day. He asked them, how many of y'all heard a message on yesterday on Sunday morning in your churches? And how many of y'all know that that message is relevant to your life today? 84% of them said the message that they heard on Sunday has nothing to do with their life on Monday. My commitment is that it doesn't happen. That I want you to experience, I want you to be able to bring lost, unbelieving, churchless friends to a church that Jesus is the bedrock, the foundation, where he is enthusiastically worshipped, where he's practically uh, shown through ministry, where he's lovingly a community connected together, where relevant outreach in people's lives, helping them through life, and then actually the foundation of it all, biblically connecting life together. Number two element is that Jesus Christ is the foreman on which Grace Point Church is built. Listen, I say that, I, I may have been the pastor who helped start this church and the families that helped start this church, but listen, it's not getting on my plan. I'm hoping there's a bigger plan out there, and I'm hopefully I'm going to come back to this book constantly, and I'm going to listen constantly, and I'm going to take that week away, and I'm going to take that day, and I'm going to take that hour, and I'm going to be listening constantly to where is God leading us, where is God taking us, and being able to listen in, because Jesus has a plan. And the promise number one that he said, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. That's what he's committed to. He told Peter, he said, I will build my church. So it's Jesus who's doing the building, right? But where'd Jesus go? Six months later, he's off the scene. 
nowhere to be found. I know he's preparing a place for us. I know he sent his Holy Spirit to us. You go on and you read in Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. It says this, that Paul's the builder. It's interesting. Paul said, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds. Who's building? Is Jesus building the church or is Paul building the church? And here's the best way I can reconcile those two verses together. Jesus is the foreman. We are the builders. Jesus Christ is the one with the plan. We're the ones who are executing that plan in our culture, in our context, right here in northwest Arkansas. We need to be the ones who understand this book, his plan, his future, and his direction for our church, and let's build it according to this. All right? There's going to be constantly changing elements, okay? Methods change. Principles never, uh, never do. Methods are many. Uh, I just messed that all up. Um, methods are many. Principles are few. Methods change. Principles never do. We are building on God's principles, all right? And he is the foreman. Let's go on the, the third element that, that makes up the church. Jesus Christ is the future in whom Grace Point Church is building. We're, we're building towards him. He's the one building the church. He's the one giving us the plan. He's the one. And now what we're doing is we're moving towards him. You notice the promises that he gave. He said, I will build my church. But he also said this. He says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Listen, when someone gives you keys, when somebody hands you the keys to their cars, the keys to their house, the keys to their office, the keys to, to their, their filing cabinet, when they, someone gives you the keys, they've given you something. They've given you authority. They've given you access. You don't take it lightly. Now throw me my keys back. <laughs> That's my brother. I could trust him, I hope. But there's a point there. If God has given us something, it's because he's trusting us. Because he's expecting us to be accountable for it. He's, got a, he's wanting us to do something with it. He's talking about binding in earth and heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And I'm going to give you the keys to my kingdom. See, what we've got to realize is that we're going somewhere. We're not a stagnant community waiting for Jesus to come back. We're a movement towards the kingdom of God. We're the ones who are bringing the kingdom of God in. We're the ones who have access to the kingdom of God. We've got a job to do with that. We've got a scope and a sequence that we as a church are trying to implement that, that probably we've never really had a scope and a sequence like this before. But this is where we're at. You heard us say it a few weeks ago, and I want to say it again. You're going to hear us say it again and again. What we want to be about is in this order. We want to love our God and our community. Unmistakably, our number one love is for God, and our number one two love is for our community. But once we love our community, we want to be in their lives helping to liberate this broken, fallen, hurt world. And you people know them. <laughs> you you're some of them, still wrapped up, still stuck, still messing with it. Man, we, none of us have figured it out. None of us are past figuring it out. But let's get in people's lives in the mess and the muck and the mire, and let's help liberate them. 
But then let's move them to lead them to a full-on, fully devoted life of following Christ. And what does that look like? And then let's launch them. Let's send them back into the world, equipped and ready to go. Listen, we're not losing Jared and Katie to the narrative, to the narrative church launching out. We're launching them. We're not losing anybody. We're launching the communitas groups that multiply. You're not losing friends that go over to that communitas group. You're launching them. That's just a part of what we're supposed to be about. How can we love? How can we liberate? How can we lead? How can we launch? We have been given the keys to the kingdom of heaven. This is what we're supposed to be doing. We have authority. We have access. In October... 14th, 1998, uh, I was in Africa at that time, but a church in Frisco, Texas launched called Stonebriar Community Church by a 60-something-year-old pastor, Chuck Swindoll. I still listen to Chuck. I absolutely love his teaching. Um, whenever we came back to start Grace Point, we, we didn't know a lot about starting churches in America. We didn't know where to go. I was groping. There weren't networks out there to help you get started. I was groping for information and content and how do you start a church. And I, I remember going and listening to the very first message that Chuck shared with the congregation of Stonebriar on a Sunday night. And the very first words out of his mouth on that night with those group of people, I took them and I stole them and I borrowed them and I put them in my message and I shared it with the very first Sunday and the very first time we met as a church in that living room on Nita Road in Rogers. And I want to share it with you today because it's still true. All of us are here tonight because all of us here are interested in the beginning of a ministry, one that has never existed before. But by the grace of God, will outlive all of us. <laughs> I want to be a church that will outlive me I want to so have the foundation so solid and so committed and raise up so many great people. I want you to raise up people so that this will so outlive us that we will be a church, a body that will breathe life into life. You and I know them. Some of y'all in this room are, are, are walking, but you're not alive, are living, but you're really not living. You know them. I know them. I want to be a church that breathes life into life. Breathes life into people who are lifeless. Marilyn Deneen, on April 26th in Edinburgh, Pennsylvania, back in 1998, was a part of a school shooting that happened. And that next Sunday morning, Marilyn, who never attended church, decided that morning after Friday night a school shooting that killed John Gillette, a biology teacher, science teacher in Parker Middle School. Marilyn decided she needed to go to church. So she went. She didn't know the first thing what to do or where to go. She walked in the front door. She told the first person she saw, the first friendly face, she made this statement. I don't usually come, but today I needed something. I needed to be with people 
who believed in something. I pray to God. I pray to God. I pray to God that we will be a church. You will be a church. You will be a part of this church. And you will breathe life into life. You will be one of those who believes in something so that when this world and all of its brokenness shows its ugly face in someone's life, you will be the one that will breathe life into their life. And we'll, we'll love them. We'll help liberate them. We'll help lead them to a higher plane, a higher direction, a higher calling. And we'll launch them and watch God use them in a beautiful, mighty way.